you are this country's first openly gay prime minister. How big a deal is this for you U.S. investment bank Lehman Brothers collapsed. I said this was a once-in-a-generation vote. financial crisis. But I believe we have voted today for the next generation. Don't be rude. Ireland has spoken with a clear, strong voice. I think I should stop now and start again, because I don't think you this is a good news. start of the debate. Welcome to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast, in which we discuss current political events. My name is Annelieke Moy, and with me today is Catherine Friend, with whom I'll be discussing cybersecurity and cyber effectiveness during lockdowns. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or find us on social media via at DublinLPR or on our website, DublinLPR.ie. So Catherine, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about your research? Really glad to be here, yes. So I'm interested in cybercrime legislation in Ireland and attitudes towards cybercrime legislation. So right now my research is looking at digital security professionals here in Ireland, anyone from law enforcement, legal personnel, IT experts, and their attitudes towards legislation that is currently in place, legislation that is being proposed, how it is used, any issues that they have currently with dealing with cybercrime, which is of course an international issue. I can imagine. And I can also imagine that you're very busy right now because um, with COVID ter- giving us, uh, turning us into a lockdown situation, the planet has kind of moved online. It's really, really interesting from a research point of view. That side of you that uh, sees all these new kinds of online uses, the increase in the online communication and what that means, not just for us uh, bored researchers at home that want to write papers, but for everyone else that is now completely reliant on online communication and how that changes the area of either what you work in, school, teaching, everything really. So because we've now all been working online, it might have been the biggest test to see how our cyber safety and cyber legislation is up to date. Do you find, are there many issues with cyber security right now? I think there are and there always will be and there always has been. It is a small group of people still that are able to technologically deal with cybercrime, although Thankfully, it seems to be coming more and more into the awareness of corporations. So you no longer have the one poor security officer trying to get funding. The board is now asking their security officers for advice on how to move forward. So that is a positive turnaround. That does sound interesting because it's probably that the board is also becoming, or at least corporations are becoming more aware. Some of the recent issues I read about in the news on Zoom. So Zoom is a, a business app that is free to use and is very good at hosting meetings. But there seems to be some security issues. Could you elaborate on that? Yes. So with any online communication, you have certain quality assurances for your users. With the advent of online communication and the surge of it, conference apps have become very popular. The big one that seems to be is Zoom. I'm not quite sure why it's suddenly the one that everyone is using, but it is very interesting to see all the other communication platforms suddenly create their own or improve their own. Along with the increased usage, there are increased opportunities for people to take advantage of it. So I think now certain security protocols are catching up, but I think the initial ones you were referring to was that it was very easy to listen in onto conversations. So initially Zoom had randomized ID numbers for meetings and you could essentially guess any one of them with a random number aggregator and just listen in on conversation. I think you had a really good question that you asked earlier. Why would someone be interested in my coffee morning meeting where we show each other our cats? Uh, which 
obviously is the point of online meetings, but uh, think of it like spam. So spam is those emails that says, give me a hundred euro and you'll get a thousand more, or please send your address to this person who will help you with your life. That's also called phishing for information. So with every 1,000 spam emails you send out, you might get that one email back. Will it have a gain for you and a loss for someone else? Probably the same with online, what they're calling Zoom bombing, or conference online bombing. For every 1,000 conversations that you listen into, there will be one where some personal or significant piece of information is shared. What is also interesting is the amount of personal information people leave in their immediate surroundings when they're at home. At the moment, just to describe, uh, right now I have a piano behind me and some paintings, but I noticed when I was doing a call or recording earlier, I had my degree behind me, which said my name, the years I graduated, the grade I had, where I went to school. So even these small things give very significant personal identification indicators. If you're in an office, people leave stickers and notes around. People typically still leave their passwords on little notes by their computer. It can be something as small as that, which could be quite significant to someone who wants to take advantage of that. Well, and I can imagine that leaving a password on your computer, that passwords can be very valuable. But why is it valuable to someone else to know where I went to school? Isn't that something they could also find on my LinkedIn profile? Right, but this has just made it easier for them. They don't have to go search for it. That's true. And what can I do with that kind of information? You could email the school, tell them you're that student, you forgot your password, you could log into that person's email account. You could email and pretend to be that person to someone else. Probably any kind of motivations to pretend to be someone else with qualifications. Maybe just wanting to get a job, which I think a lot of people are trying to do right now. Yes, because despite a lot of things going on online and offices moving online and meetings continuing online, it seems to be that a lot of productivity went down. Remote working and remote meeting as effective as talking to each other in, in a coffee morning? The big thing is obviously how good your internet is. Just before we recorded this, we my internet crashed. So we had an extra five or ten minutes while I got that sorted. So apart from that, I think a meeting is only as good as the person that's running it. You could have some people that are very good at running meetings. I can keep everyone on topic and motivated some people not so. That's in person alone. Now you're online where you're all separated. With online communication, immediate conversation cues are not there. You can tell someone wants to talk in a meeting face to face where they maybe they lean forward or they suddenly make eye contact with you online. I'm looking at your face but my camera is above it so I'm not really looking into your eyes to give you those cues that we normally have offline. You also can't see how much my arms are moving right now. I move my arms a lot when I talk. So those sort of conversational cues are not there. That is not to say that conversational cues are completely absent, they're just a bit different online. Also, to try to avoid speaking over people, you may have to give that extra pause when speaking to make sure everyone else is finished talking. So, you know, I kind of feel it does take a little bit longer, but it also is down to the preparation you do before the meeting. And of course, when you're on your laptop and others, well, you gave the example of not being able to see your arms and hand movements and hand gestures. Of course, you cannot see what people are doing other than following the meeting. In a meeting, of course, you can see when someone is on their phone. Right now, you can be doing anything and people don't see it. Yes. 
Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I think using your phone during meetings and conferences is sort of accepted. It's frowned upon, but nobody's gonna give out to you for it, but you're absolutely right. Nobody can tell what I'm doing. Just could be on my phone, could be watching the latest episode of something online. Because I'm wearing earphones, you can't hear what I'm listening to. So it is a bit devious. It probably also means there's a lot more to... It might actually be a good thing as well. Like with the earphones, I'm currently not wearing any, but I remember from other meetings when wearing earphones you really zoom into a conversation ah that's a good point so if i mean uh, presumably if i'm not listening to something else i'm only listening to you that's a good point when you use earphones the sound outside around you is sometimes blocked as well so that's an interesting idea the fact that we're not getting these social cues so the the lack of breaks perhaps the eye contact trying to look at yourself even though yourself is in the corner and then trying to look into the camera because you want to be showing that you're there rather than looking at yourself in the corner which looks absent does that decrease the relationship between people I think it depends on how used you are to using online communication. So the idea that there might be less empathy or different empathy cues, so you might be a little bit more difficult to tell what the other person is thinking, and it also depends on how you're communicating online. So sometimes I feel that video was almost less cues. You could use text where you can use emoticons, smileys, all those exclamation points. However, text can be a little bit slower to confirm something. So emails can be a bit laborious and you have all those email threads. Or if you get to call someone, you can just quickly ask them something. So it does depend on what you need from your communication. And for example, one of the things is that in lockdowns, a lot of people were talking about the impact it has on their personal life and on their mental health. And especially because you're sitting, for those sitting alone at home. With our office, we have coffee mornings every once in a blue moon. Why is that not the same to meeting someone in a physical space? Why is that so different? I imagine there's something nice about the coffee mornings that you've all taken that break to be with each other, to chat to each other. I kind of feel that online communication isn't that different. It isn't the opposite of online communication. It's just different. So I don't think it's necessarily worse or bad than offline communication. It is a new norm, as people like to call it. But for those of those of us who have been communicating online with people for forever, how long? And this is just an increased use, I guess. You know, I think it's that that immediate physical connection that some people miss. I met a friend early, and we both immediate we both instinctually went to hug each other, and then we we suddenly jumped back. So it's that that immediate what we're used to versus what we have to do now. I think maybe that's what people are struggling with most. Now, and another question to go back a little bit to cyber legislation and cybersecurity. One of the things is I can see you and I can indeed see your piano behind you. Of course, I cannot see whoever might be just behind your laptop or computer or whatever device you're on. How or is there some way that we can ensure security in this this manner? Would there be some sort of possibility to detect other people in the room? I guess you just have to trust the person you're talking to, I mean, to go back to employment situations, I think companies will have to set out new guidelines, new policies, especially if they're discussing sensitive information. Previously, it was absolutely prohibited to bring, for example, work information home. It was only allowed to be on the work laptop in work. And if you brought the laptop home, or the five laptops in the office for the 
200 people and the five people who had to work from home once in a while. Suddenly, everyone needs a laptop, not all that would be security protected. We're now relying on our home laptops, our home networks, which may not be secure. There is a number of issues, let alone who might be in the room with you. I imagine if you have a smaller household, as in a physically smaller space with a lot of people, it can be difficult to get that quiet time to talk to people you need to talk to online. So you're right, there are a number of other issues that have to be contended with right now with online communication. And for example, there's been some issues with, well, we've both gone to university, we've both sat in those lovely exam rooms, 200 people sweating over their paper, the incessant sound of clicking pens, and well, we love it. But of course, due to corona, that's now not possible. Uh, So a lot of students or a lot of examination has moved online, either through take-home exams or online tests, etc. Now, some other universities as well tried to force their students to install a spy software that can detect how you make your exam. So it would share your screen, so it could see what you were doing on your screen, and it would follow your eye movements to see whether or not you were actually making a physical exam or whether you were cheating. And it was actually very, very good. Only around 8% of the people bypassed the system with cheating. So they did some tests, of course. They ran tests to see, okay, can you cheat? And only 8% of the people cheating actually got away with it, which kind of sounds like the ideal answer, not having to go to a drafty exam hall with clicking pens and coffee and other stressful. Rather, just sit at home, open your laptop, open the software and make your exam at home. Is that safe, though? Save for whom? Well, what are the risks of having such a spy software if my university would promise to throw it away, to throw away all the images once you've been cleared? Do you mean you would be able to uninstall the software afterwards? Yes, so the software um, sends it to the university, the images, and then they are deleted the moment that they confirm that you have not cheated for your exam. So if they suspect cheating activity, it's reviewed by a human being, and otherwise the images from your screen and from you making the exam are deleted. So I think what you're talking about is whether the computer or whether the software takes in more data than it says it should. You're telling me that the software should only take this recordings of the screen. What I imagine to be truly effective, the software would also take data of your laptop usage, whether you were copying and pasting information from somewhere else. So of course, in those instances, there would have to be very strict guidelines as to that information being deleted and the software being completely erased from your laptop when you choose to uninstall it. Protocols would have to be extremely clear to users what that data is going to be used for, how it is going to be used, who is going to access it, for how long it is going to be kept. So if we were to take an offline example, we typically keep all the transcripts until after we correct them, then it goes to the externs, and then it is kept for a number of months afterwards to check anything that comes up for perhaps if someone wanted to get their grade checked again after the uh, marks come out. So I imagine it could be something similar to that, but now you have a whole amount of digital data that needs to be kept safe. So then that goes not only to the college's responsibility to the students who is giving them that data, the college then has a responsibility to keep that data safe. The college might not be interested in your computer usage 
data, but someone else could. As you said, if someone wanted to hack in and use that data for anything like we were talking about, personal identifiable information, think of the amount of time, like what do you use your laptop for? Most of my usage is all about true crime dramas, but I also use it for online banking. I use it for job applications. Some people have extensions to save their passwords. So there's a whole lot of data that now has to be stored somewhere and stored safely. And if it isn't stored safely, who would be responsible? I'm assuming then the the college is taking responsibility for storing this information because they are the person, the entity. They are the entity that has asked for this information. Presumably, from what I would assume, it is the college's responsibility and their poor IT team that now everybody wants to talk to. Okay, wow, that sounds very interesting. So thank you for this conversation. And looking at all the things that are happening in cyber psychology and cyber security right now during this COVID pandemic, is there something that really sticks out to you? I think like we were talking about earlier, the sense that we're not really being with people. And I absolutely empathize with anyone that's feeling alone and feel not feeling like they can talk to their friends. Because online communication is different for some people. What is interesting about online communication is that we uh, we often think people are being a lot more truthful online. So there's these little quirks with online communication. It would take far too long to assume someone was lying to you all the time. You just would not be able to have a conversation. So there are these little things... This is attributed to hyper, this hyper-mediated com- communication online. Like I said earlier, there's less cues, so our brains fill in those cues for us just to make communication faster. And we have a truth bias. Even for those cynical people, we automatically think someone is telling the truth most of the time. So it is really interesting with online communication. So I just advise anyone who is communicating more online to just be careful with uh, whatever that data they're sending out. And if they are having any sensitive communications, which we all do. We all like to call our girlfriends, our boyfriends, chat about our day, sometimes share anything that's troubling with us. Just be aware of what platform you you are using and who might have access to that. It's a scary thought, but most of the time nobody's going to be interested in it. Right. That sounds a good note to end this on. So thank you very much, Catherine Friend. Thank you for listening to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast on cybersecurity and cyber psychology whilst working from home during a pandemic. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on social media via at Dublin LPR. Comments, questions and suggestions are very welcome via contact at dublinlpr.ie. This was Annelieke Mooy and I wish you a pleasant day. Yay, we can stop recording.